This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. Hey and welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. Be it through 1037thegame.com, the free 1037 The Game mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and any other way you consume your favorite podcast. It was a busy week to say the least, and I'd say a great week when it comes right down to it involving pro wrestling. So let's waste a little time and get right into what's causing all this with the three count. First things first, we go to the WWE with NXT. Arturo Ruras underwent a successful surgery late last week. The timetable for his return is unknown. He sustained an injury to his arm during the match with Kushida on November 18th. And according to a report from Fightful, the injury was believed to be a torn bicep. And again, he has since undergone successful surgery. No timetable at this time was given for Ruas's return. And it's weird because he was selected to the Raw brand in October. The move back to NXT, like right after, he also been part of the Raw Underground gimmick that came to a well-deserved end. So definitely going to be interesting to see what happens next with Arturo Ruas. The latest class of recruits has reported to the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. The group brings a wide array of experience to the WWE PC, including independent and international wrestling experience, as well as in pro sports. One of those in pro sports, or should I say women's college basketball, that is Anriel Howard, former Mississippi State Bulldog. She was selected in the 2019 NBA draft and played for the Seattle Storm, but a lot more known for that big Mississippi State Bulldogs program that want to win a national championship. But the three names of note has to be without a doubt, without a doubt Alex Zane out of Kentucky. He made a name for himself in promotions like Game Changer Wrestling, Black Label Pro, and Ring of Honor. During his 15-year career, he's finally going to apply his trade with the WWE. And then two-thirds of the Rascals, Desmond Xavier and Zachary Wentz, both are headed to the WWE as of right now. We'll talk about that later with what's going on with the other member of this, Trey Miguel. Rumors are he's looking towards either AEW or he's looking towards the WWE. It's all about what he wants, and more importantly, he's also... Want to kind of see his healthy baby nephew before he goes to the WWE and is going to be quarantined and be dealing with all that stuff. He wants to see that his baby nephew was born prematurely. And according to Triple H, you've got to be all in on joining the WWE. So as of right now, it looks like that path is being closed. And then in the final part of the three count, this was absolutely interesting to see. And again, in 2020, it's been weird. No, not necessarily true performances, if you will, for New York Times to really pick on or pick from. And this year, AEW made headlines once again with Le Dinner de Bonaire included in the segment among the best performances of 2020. And this is an excerpt from the New York Times. Some weeks, the athleticism at this professional wrestling startup is more exciting than anything happening in Vince McMahon's empire. And no one in the WWE has this kid's combination of diction Juilliard by way of Long Island, intensity, or cheesiness either. Even when Freeman's lost his cool, he still has astounding control. His character is part heel, 
part tool, and part Goodfellow wannabe. His mouth does more running than he does, and for reasons only the producers of this show can explain, a long segment in October between MGF and veteran Chris Jericho culminated in a version of Me and My Shadow, complete with dancing women and live singing. It was less than spectacular. It was less than spectacular, though not for anything Friedman did. He wasn't embarrassed at all. He was very smooth about it in a way that should worry Ric Flair. And then again, it's absolutely as expected because he has a bit of a background performing in front of people. If you've seen the video of him performing on the Rosie O'Donnell show, you know how much he loves being in the spotlight. So it's great to see AEW get a little bit of love, not from the pro wrestling circles, but on the mainstream especially the New York Times, for one of the best performances in all of 2020. Now, if COVID hadn't happened, odds are this would be a different conversation. Maybe it wouldn't be in there, but honestly, I hope it would. It's absolutely fantastic to see WWE or pro wrestling in general get a little bit of pub. Now let's get into the in-ring action after the three count. And my goodness, it was a great week for pro wrestling, but I'm going to go ahead and just focus in on two different promotions this week. And it's NXT, AEW. How can we not talk about those with Dynamite? But we'll talk about Dynamite in a little bit. Let's start off with NXT TakeOver War Games. And we start off with, of course, a War Games match, the Women's War Games match, with Team Shotzi Blackheart taking on Team Candice LeRae. And I have to say, I love the way this show started off. started off hot. I wish there was less sirens because it felt like the sirens were overpowering the ring announcer in a lot of times whenever she was talking about the rules, they could have turned those down or basically turned them off after a little bit once the cage got lowered. You didn't need to be blaring for like 20 minutes. It was kind of necessary, but I loved the way this show started off. It started off extremely hot. The hype video for this show was re- unreal. Really cool stuff. I think like there was maybe some production gaffes, but really wasn't entirely noticeable to the naked eye. But we start off with a women's war game match, and you have Team LeRae come out first. They get put in the cage, and you have Tony, excuse me, Dakota Kai starting off for Team LeRae. And then you have Shotzi Blackheart's team come out. She comes out with a freaking new tank. It's bigger, badder, and just looked even cooler. It was absolutely badass with a skull on it, TCB, all that stuff. And then she even had a projectile on his little ball. And she was able, I, I was like waiting. I'm like, that's got to be like a toy missile, like almost a Nerf gun missile, basically. And then the second she fires it off, it's like, yes, we got to see that. That's what, that's all I wanted. That is all I wanted from this match. And the match starts off with Ember Moon and Dakota Kai. Ember Moon trying to prove herself as she's made her return to the NXT ranks after a near career-ending injury and subsequent surgery. And it was cool because the fact that you had these two just put on a really solid five-minute match waiting to see who was going to come out and give the baby faces the advantage, which a lot of people have complained about. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But honestly, I love the fact that they gave the baby faces the advantage. It was unexpected. It was unexpected, and I like the fact that they did it. Now, the team captain, Shotzi Blackheart, comes out, and she immediately gets plundered. She brings a toolbox and a crowbar into the cage, and that toolbox will come into play a little bit later. But it's her and Moon just absolutely teaming up on her during that three-minute period. They had a really cool doomsday dropkick spot just before the time expired. And Raquel Gonzalez comes out. Smart move by Ray, I should say, in terms of the strategy of this match. Having her come out second. because She has worked with Dakota Kai in the past and still is. 
So this is a massive move to have these two paired up against each other. And it really changes the pace of the match and puts momentum in their favor. It's the much larger Gonzalez just waylaying on all of them. And then Rhea Ripley comes out, evens the odds, and it's definitely going to be a big reason why they put her in that was because of the fact that she evens out with Raquel Gonzalez. He's these two big girls, and they are just absolutely going to be going at it. And they do a lot. In fact, when Ripley comes out, Raquel's just, you can they go to the camera and cut to her, and you can see her say, I have been waiting for this. And she comes out, and you see these two just stare down and absolutely start wailing on, on each other. And they did go back and forth a couple times. But it was really cool. And then the toolbox does finally come into play. Ripley pulling out a few different things, but more importantly, a little sludge hammer. I, I almost feel like it was like a, a mini mallet. Because it wasn't it wasn't like gimmicked or anything. It actually looked like something I have in my house. But the little sludge hammer, she hits Dakota Kai with it, she hits a couple people with it, and that thing gets kind of thrown away. Nobody ever really talks about it again, which it was used a little bit more. I think it was used like towards the end of the match, right before Team Ray got and all of them got into the ring once Candice LeRae got in the ring. That changed the conversation. But this was a really fun match at this point. And you got to see things got turned up. And then Tony Storm, the newly turned heel Tony Storm, comes out and starts taking off turnbuckle pads. And it's all Candice LeRae's team going at it. And these three of them absolutely wailing on their opponents. And it's pretty much one-sided, I feel like, for much of this contest from this point on. They get to a Tower Doom spot right before Io Shirai is supposed to come out. It wasn't crisp. I, I just didn't know. Like, all of a sudden it just happened. I'm like, wait a minute. That was supposed to be a Tower Doom spot? It just didn't have nearly as much. And then again, maybe I'm just desensitized to the entire existence of the Tower Doom spot after seeing it like 50 billion times. But still, really fun stuff. Then Io Shirai comes out and she tries to bring in more and more plunder like ladders, chairs, and every time she does, the heels just keep her out of the cage. And it made her look like a little bit of a doofus, but it also makes the heels look like the smart ones because they are continually trying to keep her at baby. She's probably the most talented person out of all this. Io Shirai, the NXT Women's Champion, she struggled to get into the cage. We even got Indy Hartwell to do a run in the ring as Candice Ray got in to continue to keep her away from the cage. And then they lock that cage up, they lock it in, and you're not able to see, you know, your girl, Eos right in the cage. And then they just start beating the tar out of everybody. And Shotzi's the biggest target. Shotzi gets pinned, but the pinfall isn't going to be counted because the fact that nobody else you don't have Eos right in the ring. It doesn't start until everybody's in the ring. And then you cut to Eoshirai having the spot of the night, without a doubt. She saves the day with a really awesome spot, diving onto everyone with a trash can on her. And then the match starts. And this is where I'm going to kind of just run through some of the highlights of stuff that I absolutely loved. One thing, Storm hit a double stop and almost caused EO to be stuck inside a trash can. That was a really cool spot in and of itself. So many different things going on. There was the spot where you got Shotzi hitting LeRae off of the ladder onto chairs. looked really cool. Then you saw her hit a splash. The Shotzi had a splash off the ladder. That was awesome. It just I enjoyed a lot of this match. Really fun, high spots. A lot of innovative stuff as well. Again, seeing the ladder get smushed on Shirai the way that it was, yikes, to say the very least. 
But then the finish, you see Team Candice LeRae win with Raquel Gonzalez hitting a one-arm powerbomb on strike through a ladder that was set up between the two rings. And this was awesome. It was a great way to finish the match. No people are going to complain to no end about the fact that Candice LeRae's team actually won the Women's War Games match. But it made sense. It made perfect sense to pull this off. Made it perfect sense to work this angle the way that they did. It was an awesome way to start the show. I had this pegged as match of the night up until the main event. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But it was a new star was created in Raquel Gonzalez. And you also created an incredible threat to Shirai as we get into 2021. Because I think, obviously, these next three weeks, they are building towards something else. They're building towards other things. And we start to learn about those other things down the line. Then we go from War Games right into probably the most hard-hitting match of the night. And it was expected. Timothy Thatcher versus Tommaso Ciampa. And this was a badass match from Jump Street. You have Tommaso Ciampa come out looking like Shredder. He looks like Shredder. And as he walked out, it was straight fire attire. And it made sense. Because, again, he wants to clean this locker room and make sure this locker room is in check. Because he wants to be that locker room leader. And who better of a leader than freaking Shredder? He had the Foot Clan and everything. And this was hard-hitting as it could be. And it's everything you've come to expect from Thatcher. And Champa a little bit more so, especially in the last like six, seven months, dating back to the one final beat match, which was probably one of my favorite NXT matches of the year. This was, without a doubt, just helped by these two just knowing what they're doing in the ring. At one point in the match, Thatcher comes up bleeding from his ear. And while this was unintentional, this made the match even more interesting. And it made it look more brutal. It was probably the best case for blood the WWE's had in a while. Because this exact, this was what necessitated seeing blood in the WWE. It's a rare occurrence, but in this case... It made the match mean like a hundred times more. And then at one point in the match, it comes up bleeding. Really cool stuff. Champa gets the win with a hanging DDT. Might not be everyone's cup of tea. It was hard hitting as all get out. Different compared to some other stuff that we've seen. And it was absolutely a fantastic main uh, second match on the main card for NXT TakeOver. Which, by the way, did not have a pre-show match. I absolutely enjoyed that. That was a big surprise. And I wasn't complaining. I forgot to mention this earlier. There was a Finn Balor promo that was a pre-tape. And basically he said that this Wednesday, all eyes will be back on the Prince of NXT. Interesting to see what's going to be coming up next. And we get some more allusions to that a little bit later. Let's get to the strap match. Cameron Grimes taking on Dexter Loomis. Love the nice touch that had the zombie ref be the official of the contest. Line of the night comes from Cameron Grimes, who brings his own strap and gets the jump on Loomis. But as he's like, we're going to use my strap. I got the strap on. Like The phrasing of, I got the strap on, made me absolutely lose it. And I was talking with some buddies in Discord about this, and I was like, he really just said that. In 2020, that's where WWE wound up hitting that line, and it was absolutely perfect. But it was a really fun match with him just absolutely taking control throughout the match. Really fun contest, back and forth. And I haven't really talked much about Dexter Loomis as a character, but I love the gimmick that he has. It's perfect, and it really shows why TNA screwed up big time on Sam Shaw. Because he had a really cool gimmick, but they made it way too much of a creeper-style gimmick. Because they could have done a lot better job with it, and I'm absolutely 
just saying, this was perfect, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he continues to be pushed because the way they're booking him as this absolutely like cold, silent, psychotic killer, I love it. And it was absolutely perfect. And this was a really cool match. At one point, Grimes takes the second strap out that basically the official wanted to use. And again, Grimes wanted to use his strap, and that's what they wound up doing. It was so damn good. Just the straps, the way it hit every single time. You you can just hear every single bit. And the fact that this isn't like a pandemic where you've got like next to no sound. So you're able to hear the way that strap just hits the flesh, and it's a certain way. Whew. It was definitely entertaining as all get out. Then Grimes goes for the cave-in, Loomis counters, and he hog ties Grimes by the legs and then puts him in the sleeper hold for the win. Absolutely a fun match. I think people kind of forgot about it. Wasn't it's probably the worst match of the night, but that's not an indictment on the match itself because this strap match could have probably is a guilty pleasure match. And it's going to be considered probably the weakest on the card. But it's still, if you put it on any other card, it's probably middle of the road to top two or three matches on the card. Because it still had a really good story to tell. And then we get, oh, it's Sting! Wait, no, it's Karrion Cross, but still awesome. Probably returning this week based off of some other stuff that we've kind of heard after this. Then we get to the NXT North American Championship match. It's Leon Ruff versus Johnny Gargano versus Damian Priest. And it's a real fun one. I I can say it right now. This is probably one of my favorite matches of the night. I'd say third favorite. It's going to be Women's War Games is the second. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But this was without a doubt like the third place match in terms of the favorite match I've, I've seen on NXT. Really fun one. Priest hits a Razor's Edge on Rough that went through the barricade. Favorite. Favorite spot of the night, I think, besides Eos bump. He absolutely took that, and it looked like it hurt. I mean, I had the fact that it's, oh, wait, the razor's edge onto the barricade. It falls over, but it's also you go through the plexiglass, and it would it looked definitely brutal. And then it's largely a Gargano versus Priest match, and that was even more entertaining. It's amazing to think that, like, Damian Priest is damn near 40, and he moves like he does. It's impressive as all get out for the former punishment Martinez to look that good in the ring and be as like old as he is. I mean, then again, 38, 30, you hear it all the time, 40 is the new 30. So who knows what he's capable of as he approaches that age. He's only getting better every year. And I continue to see he continues to impress me. And this was another example of it. The story that was being told and the fact he kept trying to hit every single finishing move that he had in his arsenal, the razor's edge on Gargano. He, he tried hitting Reckoning, and nothing could work. It took the heel move that is Johnny Gargano having the ghost faces. He brought out like 50 ghost faces. Demi Priest took out a bunch of them, but it was all about just one. And it was not one of those guys. It was his guy. Those were all a red herrings, I guess. And it's all about the final one towards the end of the match. Absolutely cracks him in the back with a lead pipe. Mind you, it felt like it was probably a lot more of a wooden one because it just didn't have that, like, it had a different sound to it compared to what it would have been if it was an actual, like, lead pipe that hit him. He goes down in a heap. 
and then you see Gargano set up Leon Ruff for the one final beat. He wins. He becomes the NXT North American Championship uh, champion, I should say, and an absolutely fun match. And then it was revealed that the ghost face all along was Austin Theory. It was Austin all along. I love the fact that they did the it was me all along Austin reference. I popped for that so hard when I heard that. And then they cut a promo a little promo package for New Year's Evil, which is a nice shout out to a 1999 show that nobody knows about, but I want to I seen something about it on Google and I was blown away by that. But New Year's Evil going to be on January 6th. 2021 and could this be Finn Balor versus Karrion Cross as the main event of the first NXT for the NXT title I th- sure think that's where we're going to go and I'd love to see that that'll be a ton of fun and it's just amazing to think how much wrestling we're going to have starting on January 4 of 2021 because we'll have Wrestle Kingdom we'll have Monday Night Raw we'll have this we'll have Dynamite who knows what Dynamite's going to have come January 6th but I can't wait for that show in 2021. I can't wait to talk about it down the road as well. Then we get to the main event of the evening, the Undisputed Era versus Team McAfee. And this was, simply put, an awesome match. Match of the night for me by far. It starts off, the entrance is really cool, with the fact you had a brand new look of the Undisputed Era logo. It was red instead of yellow. I like that. Maybe an allusion to them going to Monday Night Raw. I don't know. But it starts off, Pete Dunne, Kyle O'Reilly, and this is just a technical masterpiece for the first five minutes, and it's also a really cool callback to the beginning of this whole feud, or at least this version of it, with Pete Dunne turning on Kyle O'Reilly, which is about a month ago. This is a great start for these two, just showing off technical prowess for the opening five minutes. Then we get to the man who puts them in the air, the one finger, that is Oni Lorcan, comes to the match, and this really sets the tone for a good bit of the contest. Kyle O'Reilly tries to fight back. But Dunn shuts him off and shuts him down with a big drop kick off the top rope. Then Bobby Fish comes in like a house of fire. No weapons yet, so this will be just a Donnie Brook at this point in time. With It'd be a two versus two. Undisputed Air takes control from here. Great double teams moves. Great double team moves from the tag team champions. The former tag champs, I should say. And then we get Danny Birch comes out. He brings out the plunder. And he brings out the cricket bats. And I absolutely pop for that as a huge fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This was right up my alley. And also shout out to Vic Joseph for the Casey Jones reference. Because if you've never seen the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, go watch it. Especially the opening like five, ten minutes. You'll see what I'm talking about. It is perfect. And I love the fact they brought out a cricket bat. Then Strong rolls in and Steven Steven and these two teams are just going at it and it is a highly, highly entertaining contest to say the least. Then we see McAfee come out and brings in tables and each member of the Undisputed Era's name is on it. He brings out chairs, a lot more plunder in this match. It's the Moonsault and this Moonsault was absolutely perfect. So damn smooth on Strong through the table. The Cole's the last man to enter. He absolutely Brings the heat this entire match. And it's a banger by this point in time. A couple of spots of note. Obviously, Pat McAfee hitting like a... I'm not going to say it's a swan ton. It wasn't like as clean as Jeff Hardy's. But it was still a really cool finishing move onto the former NXT champ. Uh, onto the whole crew. But it looked like he took like the worst of that. Because it was like he had maybe one guy. 
Everybody else went down, but McAfee took the worst of that bump. Also took a lot of other different like hard bumps. Got pushed off of the ladder, off of the top rope, through a table, hitting the back of his head on it. That looked brutal. And then you saw him get, take the Panama Sunrise, kicks out a two, and I saw a lot of people complain about the fact that he kicked out a two, killing the Canadian Destroyer. This one, I think the Canadian Destroyer was kind of killed, to be honest. And the fact that he took that as the finish, and I think it was all about telling a different story in terms of the finish, because Kyle O'Reilly got the win after a like rope walk knee drop onto Oni Lorcan to get the win. And that was a perfect way to establish another new star. I talked about Raquel Gonzalez. This is about establishing stars, like last year with Rhea Ripley. She became a star in that match. They talked about it a lot during the opening contest. I think Kyle O'Reilly has become a star in that match in and of itself. Because he got the win, and he looked good throughout the match. It was all about him. Carry, he carried this team to victory for a good bit of it. He was the one that started this whole thing off. He's the one that got turned on. And he's trying to prove himself as a breakout star. I think that's been the big story over the last few months with him. Because, again, we look at guys like Roderick Strong, who's done extremely well in the past. He's won several titles across the world. I think that this was, without a doubt, his shining moment to prove to himself and others that he is, without a doubt, going to be the guy in NXT in the not-too-distant future if he stays on NXT. I don't know if he's going to, because who knows if the Undisputed Air is going to get called up or not. Again, them wearing red made me wonder. But again, amazing show from top to bottom, and I hate to do this because I try not to do this anymore, but damn it, give me five stars for this match. This is a star-rating-worthy match. Give me five stars for the main event. TakeOver War Games, absolutely amazing show. Probably their best show of the year in terms of NXT. And you also establish two big stars that could be champions in the next year. They've been they've become established in Raquel Gonzalez and Kyle O'Reilly. Then some other news and notes from the post-TakeOver call. Consider this like a bonus three-count with Undertaker being reported as a trainer. Triple H mentioned during the media call, quote, anytime Taker is involved here, he has walked through those doors. Everybody that's here is better for it. They all come out of here with a different perspective, a fresh viewpoint, and you know he's one of the most knowledgeable guys that has ever been in the business. Even myself, I learn from him every time I'm around him. He is looking now, I believe, to move into a sort of next phase of his life. End quote. So it looks like right now the rumors are becoming true. Maybe The Undertaker does work as a trainer in the next year or so. I think that would be absolutely great because, again, Undertaker was one of the last great characters. And if you have somebody there that understands how character work is, that can make a lot of those superstars better. For instance, a Dexter Loomis, a Cameron Grimes, hell, a Damian Priest character with the help of Undertaker really establishing and really understanding what how to do mind games. This could be a great launching post for a lot of different superstars. So sign me the hell up for that. Then we got an update on Candice LeRae. Looked like she injured her arm during the match. And according to Triple H, quote, getting checked out and getting an x-ray. So I don't have a status update yet on that. It looks like possibly a broken arm. We're not sure yet, but we'll see where that goes. Bobby Fish also got a little bit of a laceration on his elbow, but we're not exactly sure. But it's just the elbow, so we're kind of waiting and seeing. But other than that, just bumps and bruises. And Triple H also mentioned that he holds his breath on these kind of shows every single time. And if that's the extent of it, we did well, end quote. Definitely hard-hitting matches throughout. I'm Hopefully, Candice LeRae is okay. 
and only has to miss a limited amount of time because she should be like she should have been in a line to win the women's title by now. And hopefully she does get that down the road. But it feels like they've got a plan with Raquel Gonzalez and pushing her to the moon. And then the other thing that was mentioned that was kind of noteworthy is WWE, are they open to working with other promotions? And the man they call with three H's, he said, quote, are we open to the right business opportunities? Yeah, at any given time, we're open to things, and it just depends on what they are. And if they're beneficial to us long term. And he says long term, he's talking about like 10 years, 10, 15 years from now. Is that beneficial? Is that meaningful? Is that long term? That's how we think. It's much longer in duration, not necessarily worried about the minute by minute. It's the long term. And so over for business, I think you hear Vince McMahon say that a lot. I've been around him a lot to know that if it's the right thing and it's meaningful to business, he's open to anything, end quote. I'm intrigued by that statement. And I'm largely intrigued by that statement because of the fact that it just doesn't feel like the Vince McMahon way. It doesn't feel like that's the way Vince McMahon likes to do things in 2020. But I'd be interested. But also at the same time kind of buries it because I don't think anybody is thinking like 10, 15 years long term like the WWE is because they are really the longest game in town. And I wouldn't be surprised they stick around well after that. Then we get to AEW Dynamite. December 2nd, winter is coming, and this was a great show all the way around. We start off with the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal. Love the intro of this show, and I wish they would do this every week. But something I just noticed this week is that they use the intro to recaps the last show's events. I think they're probably going to do that for the bigger shows, like a beach break or something like that. But it works, and I loved it. Really liked how they started the whole show, not all in the ring at the same time. And then just the bell rings to cut to the overhead cam to show the emphasis on how many people are in this damn match. And this thing goes like wild and woolly. It's hard to kind of keep tabs on everything, like what was going on, because there's so many people in the ring. But the first elimination of the night goes to Adam Page, thanks to the Dark Order, who saw jump, John Silver jump on his back right away, and Page laughed it off. And makes, makes you wonder, has Page joined the group? They kind of do another tease of this a little bit later on with the Dark Order saving the day. But still, really cool seeing Paige maybe being courted over to the dark side, at least for now. Then a couple other notes that I had was like Wardlow and Miro. It's exactly why the FTW title should be a Haas-only belt. It's so damn awesome to see these two kind of just go at it. I didn't know how much I wanted this until I actually saw it happen live in my face. And it was perfect. Guevara, Jungle Boy duking it out, and MJF tosses both of them off of the top rope. And it's basically kind of done as an explanation, saying, hey, I was trying to eliminate Jungle Boy, and that was just an accident. And it gets to the, the final two, in, or so we think, with MJF and Wardlow, but turns out it's Orange Cassidy and MJF and Wardlow, because Cassidy was never eliminated and brought back into the ring, and then eliminates Wardlow after about a couple minutes or so of him dodging, doing his whole pocket shtick. And it was great. To, I can't wait to see this match next week with MJF versus Orange Cassie. But it's a really cool opener that sets up possibly several stories we see as we approach the new year. Because it wasn't done just for a battle royal. They actually made a lot of storylines out of this. So I'm absolutely into the fact that we're doing this. It's not often we talk about a battle royal being good. But this was a rare example and a very rare one at that of doing a battle royal right. No people aren't a fan of the fact that it's the final two and then they face off a one-on-one match next week. Honestly, I'm okay with that. 
it's different than the other stuff we've seen over the past like 20 years. If you did it where you had the final two face off in a pinfall match, it didn't look like the gauntlet for the gold. So why not make the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal different? And you give yourself something to do the next week rather than, oh, wait, we're going to go ahead and crown the guy with the time. And that week, you wait a week, you can actually extend this program for a couple weeks. And I love that idea. Then we get to Chris Jericho versus Frankie Kazarian. And again, it really shows how AEW does things right, at least in certain aspects. It's the fact that they tell different stories and it bleeds into other things. For instance, the inner circle, the turmoil that's been going on since MGF took over or joined the inner circle, I should say, is that, you know, Chris Jericho and the inner circle were out there for a match against Frankie Kazarian. It was a really fun match between those two. You saw Kaz hit a flux capacitor on Jericho. Hadn't seen that move in a long, long time. It was great to see him do it again, especially with Jericho. Because, again, Kaz isn't getting any younger. Jericho's damn near old as all hell, but he absolutely looked like that move was brutal. And it's cool to see that happen. Then they tease MGF throwing in the towel towards the end of the match. And then they cause the refs between Guevara and MGF. Even more so, Kaz almost gets the three count. But Jericho hits the Judas effect for the win, and it's made to look like Guevara was going to throw in the towel, at least according to Jericho, and that causes a big rift. These two are just absolutely yelling and shoving, and then Jericho demands they all stop the BS, and if they can't work as a team in seven days, if they can't get it together, they're breaking up forever. Really interesting to see what's going to happen this Wednesday on Dynamite. It's another selling point. They continue to, like, these things happen, let's focus on what happens in seven days' time, and let's look at what happens going forward. Then we get to Dr. Brett Baker versus Layla Hirsch. And actually, there's a lot of things I liked about this. But at the same time, there was some stuff I was absolutely frustrated with. The thing I did like was the fact that they kept putting over Layla Hirsch's amateur background. How she was adopted from Russia at eight years old. So she is largely an American. But the fans are chanting USA. When she's supposed to be the baby face. What the hell is going on where he's... Where she's the babyface, but getting the heel USA, USA stuff. Like, it, it's infuriating me. But it's the story is, Hurst just keeps trying to get the submission victory. It keeps trying to secure the arm bar. And then Reva gets the distraction on the apron. Excuse me, Rebel, not Reva. They keep debating this. And I'm just going to go and say, I call her Reva every week. So, yeah, Reva. Gives Baker the opportunity she needs to get the lockjaw in, and she gets the win after putting in the lockjaw. But it's all about after the match. Thunder Rosa was out for revenge. Britt Baker and Rosa brawl. Six refs try to break it up. And somehow, some way, you know, Hirsch is basically in the middle of all that, and she gets hit a little bit. So it's possibly a tag team match next week. But I think this is like another thing I think probably a lot of people are complaining about is the fact that there's too much, like, right after the match is a brawl. Like, Save that stuff for maybe a backstage segment. It just feels like there's too much of that going on all throughout these shows. It happened at the end of the Inner Circle match, like two or three times in last week's show. It's something that's done a little bit too much. I understand it's a it's a story device, but the fact that trope is being overused in AEW. I understand you want to be able to present the idea of anything can happen, but whenever that becomes the norm, it's no longer anything can happen. It's Okay, here we go. We're going to go ahead and have another guy get in a brawl with another guy. And then it's Darby Allen versus Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes, excuse me, a tag team match 
versus Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks. I wrote Ricky Skaggs in my notes because every time I see that name, I'm like, yeah, I can't help but to laugh at that. No time wasted with the two teams going at it before the bell. AW was a little bit high on breaks from time to time. At least it, at least it was just something I noticed. We're like, all right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're back picture in picture. And it take like 10 seconds before we actually finally got to picture in picture. Maybe that was just me, but we'll see. But I love the fact that we got this match. And it was a really fun one. Darby got the pin on Starks. Now, some people complain about the fact that Starks was the one that ate the fall. But I think it's perfectly fine because if you had the little guy absolutely steal a win on Powerhouse Hobbs after he debuts, it makes him look like an absolute geek. It makes Team Tez look like a geek. So I'm okay with that idea of having Starks eat the pin in this situation. Then Team Taz gets a beat down on the rest of the Nightmare family. And it, uh, you have Taz directing traffic. You have Cage and crew come out. You have Dustin Rhodes come out. Arn Anderson gets beat up a little bit. And then the lights go out. It's Sting! I absolutely, as a big Sting mark back in the day, this was awesome. And the fact that it happened, I knew it was going to happen someday. But my God, this was the right place and the right time for this moment. Right before the main event, the second it happened, people immediately switched their TVs, and it turned the momentum in strongly in their favor. According to some numbers, minute by minute, that wound up getting like a million viewers in that segment. That wound up getting a million viewers to turn their TVs on to AEW Dynamite. That's massive. And I absolutely loved it. He looks over everyone left in the ring because Team Taz gets the hell out of Dodge. And it ends with him staring at Darby, who stands up and stares him down as they go to break. I can't wait to see where this goes. And they announced after the match that Sting has signed an AEW contract and will speak live with Tony Giovanni next week. Apparently, they sold shirts at the arena after the segment. And his shirts on ProWrestlingTees.com, they have sold more in 24 hours than any other shirt in the history of Pro Wrestling Tees. That's how huge this moment was for AEW. Then we see a pre-tape promo. And I love the fact that they did this. They cut this in like several different commercial breaks. With Moxley with a promo hyping up the match, then Moxley cuts a promo backstage saying that two warriors were battling on top of a mountain and ends with a nice homage to the late great Pat Patterson saying they'll go out there and make them go banana. I love the fact they did that because again, it's a Pat Patterson thing. And then John Moxley, Kenny Omega, you got them making their entrances. Then the match is going to start. Don Callis is out on commentary again. And I love the fact that they did that because in my head, I was thinking, you know, if you're making Omega a full blown heel, why not have him have a heel announcer call all of his big matches, all his big title fights, have Don Callis on commentary? I think that'd be cool. And this was a really good match that wasn't a five-star barn burner that I expected it to be, but it was close. It drops the star rating for me largely because of the fact that it's, you know, a screwy finish. That's the big reason why. I didn't like the way they did this. But they were absolutely put together a fantastic match. I love the spot where Omega and Moxley just laid into each other, punched and slapped, looked like something at CZW, and I love that. Moxley controlled the, the fight for about 90 minutes of the contest, hit the paradigm shift outside onto what looked like one of the heaters at ringside, and may have legit like nicked Omega in the eye, and then Mox gets Omega back in the ring and starts peppering him with shots as Kallus is at the apron. Demand the match be stopped. It looks like he's going to throw in the towel. But then Mox gets distracted, sees this, and he's like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and lay your ass out, old man, and bops him. And Kalis sold this like he got shot by a gun. 
It was amazing. And then Omega has the microphone and just bops him over the head with it, finishes him off with the one-winged angel to become the new AEW champion. Then Callis and Kenny are getting the hell out of Dodge, and then we get probably the greatest cliffhanger in professional wrestling history as the artist formerly known as Cyrus the Virus says to tune into Impact on Tuesday on Access TV to find out why they did this. I am loving this, and I want to see this so bad on Tuesday night. It's going to be interesting, and it's a way to end probably the biggest show in company history. It was a good show, elevated to great status because of the Sting appearance coming out of nowhere, and a great main event that ended with a cliffhanger to have you watch another program next week that's going to bleed into Wednesday on Dynamite. So this is going to be huge to see what happens next. Let's get into some fan questions. I try to do this every week. You can hit me up on Twitter at Cajun Strong Style. That's C-A-J-N Strong Style on Twitter. Or you can hit me up on my personal Twitter at Clint Domingue. C-L-I-N-T-D-O-M-I-N-G-U-E. You can hit me up there. If you want to talk about pro wrestling, hit me up. Hit me up with some questions. I ha- I'm I'm always here to take questions and I'll answer them on the podcast. And I got this question from at Cajun Packer on Twitter. What can wrestling do to bring the excitement back? I was a huge fan, and now I couldn't tell you half the roster. I don't watch it all anymore. And I love the question. Because I've been thinking the same thing for a good while. Because there are times where I'm so preoccupied with 50 different things that wrestling can and will fall through the crack consistently. Honestly, what AEW did on Wednesday night is the first step towards things being exciting again. It's the anything can happen motif that AEW loves to do. It's That's what makes wrestling great sometimes, even in this era where we all know what's going on. We all know the matches are predetermined because, again, we know what's going to happen. In terms of the storylines, we can kind of keep in tabs on things and understand what's going on, especially if you watch it enough. If you become enough of a diehard fan of a certain product, you can kind of tell where the wheels are turning. And I think, honestly, this is a great step in the right direction. Are we going back to the attitude area in terms of everyone and their grandmama watching? No. That time is long gone because now there's 50 billion things to keep people occupied. you got to think about it. And this is just how I think about things from an entertainment perspective. We are now in an era where it's no longer you know, the McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's. It's a literal buffet. Think about that, this, and this is more of a Lafayette thing. Think of the Popeye's buffet we have here. That is literally what pro wrestling and entertainment in general is now because you can just pick and choose all these different things. You're not basically kind of held to, you know, radio, TV. You can listen to podcasts. You can listen to all these different things. You listen to streaming, Netflix, Disney plus the WWE network, AEW's BR live fight TV. There's about a 50 billion different options to watch programming in 2020, especially with pro wrestling. And not only that, there's so much other wrestling out there to where if you're not necessarily a huge fan of the, what I like to call the Walmart of wrestling, the WWE, there's other stuff that you love. And it's something that I think I've appreciated a lot more over the last couple of years because I grew up watching wrestling in 1999. And mind you, I was watching like the crappy WCW at this point, but honestly, I didn't know the difference. And by then the whole business had been exposed to be predetermined, not fake. And with that, there was a lot of luster taking off the overall product. And as guys like Stone Cold and The Rock left, it was damn near impossible to fill that void again with true, like, mega stars. They've tried with John Cena and Batista, and it's worked to a certain extent. But those guys, 
they're done. And we're trying to find who that next quote unquote guy is. And it feels like it's almost impossible to find that next guy. But again, pro wrestling's different nowadays. You don't have to be just solely towards either the Walmart of WWE or back in the day, the WCW of Target. Or probably vice versa if you want to get technical. But it feels like for me, this is where we're at. We've got a lot of different things to keep you interested to where you don't have to pay attention to all the products. You can focus in on a particular product. Do you love the old school presentation of wrestling? NWA, the new United Wrestling Network, has you covered. The NWA has done some great stuff. They just came back with Shockwave, which was a really fun show. Wish it was more meat on the bone, but it is what it is. Like some of the meta things of pro wrestling, maybe a little bit more of the presentation is different compared to the Walmart. AEW is where to go. Impact, that's the place to be. They got they literally have a murder mystery going on right now in Impact Wrestling, and it's hilarious. Want just nonstop action stories that are strictly told in the ring, and it's all in a tight one-hour package? Ring of Honor. And you've got the good folks at MLW. They're where you need to go. You can get to the Walmart of pro wrestling. It's the WWE, and you don't have to deal with it. You can try out the Target or the Whole Foods. Or better yet, you can go back and watch like some old Chikara stuff. You want to have a good laugh and want to watch some comedy wrestling. That's where you need to go. You can, you can literally look up anything, and pro wrestling has it for you right now. And again, I'm not telling you and everybody else who's listening to this podcast, if you love pro wrestling, that's great. That's wonderful. And we appreciate you listening in. I'm not trying to gain new people to watch pro wrestling. I'm trying to like get out to you, the listener, that loves pro wrestling. If it doesn't bring you joy in terms of pro wrestling, then that's fine. I'm not here to convert you. I'm here maybe to try and bring back some of those old school diehard wrestling fans that were watching back in the days of Mid-South and make sure that people realize, hey, this stuff's still cool and there's a lot of different stuff that you can outright enjoy. It's not just, oh, hey, you know, the WWE anymore. It's not like, you know, when your mom goes get video games or whatever, and she's like, oh, hey, get that Nintendo game. It's like, no, mom, that's a PlayStation game. you got to explain that. We're trying to explain that to the average listener, the hashtag lapsed fan, that, hey, stuff's really getting good right now because now there's true competition to the WWE. There's true competition, and now add the fact that I think now we realize that this is no longer a McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King type thing. This is now a buffet where you can just have all you want or have as little as you want. As long as it makes you happy, that's all I care about. Because if you've gotten tired of pro wrestling and you want to get away from it, that's fine. Because, you know, I've always been a person who believes if something brings you no joy, then why do it? Then why watch it? And why watch it? Just so you can complain about it? No. That's not how that's not how I operate. I want to enjoy pro wrestling for what it is and what it has been in my life and probably yours as well. I've been watching it for over 20 years. I've watched a lot of stuff from back in the day now. I've actually watched stuff from before I started becoming a true wrestling fan. And I've appreciated that. And I think that's a big reason why I love doing this podcast. Because this brings me joy. Talking about pro wrestling, talking about stuff that rules, talking about stuff that sucks. This is what makes like a podcast, Cajun Strong style, just work. And I, again, I've been doing this podcast since about early June, and I appreciate a lot of people who've stuck around and listened to this podcast. Because I did not think that I was going to bring back a podcast, to be quite honest with you, because we had done the 20 by 20 programs podcast with me, Alan, and Cody. There was Alan and Cody, Alan, Cody and me, I should say, and then it was just me. 
I just didn't feel like me being on that solo road was the way I wanted to go. I had all these other ideas, and then things just fell through the cracks. I was running hard. And I'm glad that in 2020, I was able to bring back a podcast and just talk about pro wrestling. And I've, in the last six months, refound that passion, rekindled that passion, if you will, of watching pro wrestling every day, about just, like, keeping tabs on a lot of different things instead of just, oh, hey, you know, WWE sucks. No, I found stuff that WWE's done that's brought me entertainment. I've absolutely, like, liked and enjoyed. I'm not, I'm tired of being the old, like, wrestling boomer and getting mad when I see something stupid. I'm like, honestly, I'll see something stupid, but then I'm like, okay, that was kind of cool. Like, for instance, the Io Shirai spot with the with the trash can. I guarantee you some old man from Louisville, Kentucky is going to absolutely bastardize that entire thing and say it exposed the business. It was the worst thing ever. No. That was awesome. That kind of stuff rules. And if you don't like it, why, are you, why do you continue to do things that bring you no joy? I understand people are going to click on those videos from that old man in Louisville, Kentucky. But why do you need to continue to be that guy when you can just enjoy sit back and enjoy the show that's been my whole thing with pro wrestling over the last like six months especially the last like two or three because i felt like sometimes i was too critical on a lot of different things i've stepped back i've decided to watch it as a fan and give my perspective as a fan that's what i'm gonna do i have some more critical stuff every now and again but when you have fun just watching it, instead of just turning a critical eye to it, wrestling becomes, like, freaking awesome again. And that's exactly how I felt the last, like, month or so watching, like, Survivor Series 2020. Watching Survivor Series 1990 all the way through. Watching some of the other stuff that I'm working on right now for 2021 and beyond. There's some cool stuff out there. In pro wrestling, why did I embrace that? That's what I'm going to leave you with. That's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Make sure you leave us a five-star review. Six stars if you're in the Tokyo Dome for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 103.7 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. You can check it out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 103.7thegame.com, the free mobile app, and so many other ways. I think the only way you can't listen to us is through the FM dial, and I think on Spotify as well, at least for right now. When we get on Spotify, we will let you know. Because trust me, we want to make sure you listen to us any way, anytime, anywhere, any place. Because trust me, pro wrestling is what matters most in this world, at least to me. So hopefully you enjoyed this week's podcast. We'll be back with you next Monday. 